0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIMP coach, and this is episode number 95. It's also the last episode of 2018 as we enter into the depth of the holiday season here. Next week is Christmas, actually in a few days, and then the following week with New Year's and just the holidays and some travel with the family to uh, Wyoming, actually, and uh, Jackson, To be more specific, we will spend a week skiing and away from it all. But that being said, in looking back on 2018, which is what a lot of this week and next week is about, I really, really wanted to thank so many of you for such an incredible year. And it brought up a conversation I had with an old friend of mine who used to be one of my coached athletes many, many years ago, probably number five or number six of all the people I've ever coached back in like 2000 when I started this coaching, not business, but this coaching endeavor. Um, Many don't even know that first story when a few friends of mine um, took me out to dinner at Kakari in San Francisco in late 1999 and asked me if I wanted to help coach them towards their Ironman and fitness goals. And as a friend to them, of course, I was thinking of doing it for free, but we all came to a decision that evening, the four, um, so the four other athletes and me, the five of us to say, you know what, in order to make us more accountable, me to them and them to what they're doing and what I'm recommending, and as you can imagine, my personality even back then was less recommending telling them what to do, Um, but they were open to that because they knew me, they knew my personality, they trained a lot with me and thought it might be a good idea. But again, in order for them to be accountable to what I'm saying, to have skin in the game, that's how the coaching business started. And they went on to do Ironman Austria, I think it was, or maybe Coeur that year, and had some pretty good results. And from that four, it grew and grew and grew to now this being my 18th year complete of coaching. In 2006, I left the world of finance and uh, started doing this full-time. I'm starting a performance training facility in Mill Valley, California, Um, Did that for two years while still coaching a lot of multi-sport athletes, primarily triathletes, and then um, also leaving that to focus 100%, I think it was in 2011, maybe, 2010, to just coaching. Uh, no facility, no location, no testing, no cycling um, measurements and um, fits, excuse me, and instead just focusing 100% on coaching. And to this day, my reset button every week. When I get distracted by a lot of things and opportunities and um, some public speaking stuff coming up lately or some other um, inputs or working with different aspects from a corporate standpoint, from a military standpoint, I always come back to that original principle that I said, or I committed to myself way back then. And that was focus on your athletes first. Until that's done, until that part of your week is done, until that part of your day is done, don't move on. And so also that's why this Weekly Word podcast comes out on Fridays. It usually takes me two, three days of getting through my athletes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, talking, communicating, working with them, training plan adjustments, checking in, so forth, in order to sort of have the breathing space in order to, then focus on, let's say the podcast or a variety of other things, catching up with people and prospective clients and athletes and so forth, working on coast ride and training camps (laughs) and future training camps and new locations. And it's a lot. But as you all know, those of you that have met me, but many of you have heard also on, on the phone with me as well as on this podcast. I absolutely love this. And so tying this all back to 2018, it ties into that I love what I do. I love coaching. I love working with athletes, you know, not, as I always say, necessarily elite athletes. I believe all of you are athletes. It's just a question of mindset and approach and your willingness to grow and commit and to be disciplined. That's what makes you an athlete not some physique, not some um, special skill or talent, not some results, not some history in a sport. It's a mindset. I believe the word athlete should be defined of how you carry yourself, how you approach it, how seriously you look at what you wanna do as an athlete and how you wake up every day and you apply yourself and are committed and have a long-term objective in mind, but are doing the small steps along the way in order to achieve that outcome. That makes you an athlete. And as you all know, it transfers to so many parts of our life and um, in our career and so forth. But also along those lines, I received a question the other day about um, when I was talking, sorry, this back to my athlete. Um, we were talking about my 2018 and all the different types of athletes that my roster has sort of moved to based off of back then when I started with him of just triathletes to now just being this this portfolio of different people and different characters and different dynamics and different locations and different outcomes and different events and different timelines, one to two to three years away to three to four to five months away, it all depends. It all depends on hopefully me and the athlete coming to terms and an agreement on how we are going to work together for us to achieve a desired outcome. And for some, it's quite contentious, not contentious in a negative aspect, but it's hard to be coached, to be open to feedback, to be told what to do. You're all adults and many people aren't used to being told what to do or to hear the raw honesty of what your shortcomings are. It's direct. That's how I deliver it. And, you know, there's no, as everybody knows that has been around me for a few years with coaching, there's no rah-rahs, there's no hand-holding, there's no atta boys and atta girls. It's like, yeah, that's what you committed to, that's what you will do. And if you stick with it, the outcomes will um, uh, unfold in front of you and you will grow to a new normal and you will grow to new desires and goals and objectives and outcomes and again create a new platform and a new you and a new normal so that soon everything that you might have looked to in the past would will now be wow that's what i do on a daily or weekly basis what i used to think was a cool goal to try and achieve I mean, how many athletes have I come across over the years that were just looking to do their first 10K and now they just go out and run a 10K in the afternoon after a morning swim? It's definitely happened. It happens a lot. And that athlete was asking me, that uh, former athlete was asking me, well, what kind of athlete do you look for these days? Because um, it seems to me that the athletes that you work with these days are sort of different than what we were and our friendships and our groups back then in the early 2000s. And so it was interesting because I said to him, my best athletes are not based off of results or experience, but they're the ones willing to grow as a person, looking inside themselves and realizing that this life that they live, that we all live, has so much more to offer when we're not focused on validation, but instead on our daily improvement for ourselves on realizing our truest self, how exercise, the outdoors, nature, and daily self-care puts our bodies in tune with so much more that is out there. So many, I believe, are out of harmony, back into that tune in and tune out and music theme. We're out of harmony. And my greatest joy as a coach comes from bringing as many people into or closer to that harmony again out of harmony with our body, out of harmony with our physicality and our raw nature of who we are. And that is sort of lizard brain, um, raw animal beings, right? Um, I was reading something the other day, or maybe listening to something on, on, on Audible that was talking about how, um, maybe it was a um, psychologist of some sort i'm trying the, the the name of who said it escapes me but they were talking about how we're born animals we're born these um lizard brain evolutionary animals that we truly are and we develop into human beings and somewhere and this this is my addendum now Somewhere in that development of going to a human being, we've lost also what's part of so much of our DNA and of our evolution and who we truly are, and that is staying connected to our animal self, right? To so many insights. Oh, I just remembered it was uh, Robert Green, <laughs> 12 Laws of Human Nature. Um, and that so much of that, we need to understand ourselves that that's truly where we're from. And when we're emotional or when we're angry or we have fears, that a lot of that comes from that true animal, raw self of ours. And so that's what I'm talking about in some ways with harmony. When we're in harmony, I believe, we're outside, we're in nature, we can reconnect with what those signals are in our body. And that, resets us a little bit and prepares us better for our days. So we're developed and built and um, from an evolutionary sense to be outside so that we, when we return back to our families, when we return back to the office, when we return back to our daily grind, I'm not saying grind in a nev- negative way, but just the routine. We have this refreshing v- um, uh, 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 life force, this stronger self, in us, that makes us allow allows us to deal with things better, that's my type of athlete, right, and achieving our potential as human beings comes from self care self care includes being healthy, fit, loving, loving ourselves, loving all those around us, and listening to our body and It gives us an opportunity exercise that is training to hear our soul and our higher consciousness. And you guys have heard me talk about this plenty, but that's what the athlete is these days. And if we can hear ourselves for a few hours a day, many hours per week, we're getting close to achieving our true potential to experience who we truly are, which is that, that mix of human being, the most unique um, creature, animal on this planet, one that can go from an animal raw nature to being a human being, showing empathy and compassion, being able to reflect, being able to think ahead. Another thing um, Robert Greene said was about how we're the only being on earth that knows our mortality, that knows our death is in the future, and we fear it. And we do a lot of our actions in our daily lives, in our bigger uh, picture lives, you know, over many years based off of this fear of death, the fear. No other animal knows, lives in fear of death. It just lives. And so that's part of this whole dynamic that we live in. Again, I believe as athletes, we have an opportunity to connect on many different levels to who we truly are. And uh, an aerobic, powerful animal with higher thoughts, and higher capabilities and organizational capabilities like a human being. And so by staying in touch with it a little bit every day, I think it just makes us better. And that's what my best athletes do. My best athletes stay consistent to, not necessarily all the spiritual stuff that I'm talking about, but more that, they're, that they can listen to their bodies, they stay in tune with themselves, And they know, they know that that niggle requires a day of rest. They know when they're breathing or their heart rate is off that they're listening to their bodies that maybe something else is going on. What stressed me out so much today that my heart rate is so high while I'm running? What is it that I wasn't able to sleep last night and get the proper recovery? What did I eat? What did I do? Why am I feeling fatigued? you know, asking those questions to understand ourselves better. And so tying that into 2018, tying that into my athletes, um, that's sort of where this coaching has gone and helping you all navigate the daily routine, the daily life, the daily responsibilities whilst (laughs) still being an endurance athlete. So so this week on episode 95, I thought I would do a few things that have come up consistently over the years in my coaching, and I think it really benefits everybody. And um, one, I'm going to go through some emails from listeners um, that sort of close out the year and are some thank yous and sort of reflections, so I really want to do that. Then secondly, I'm going to go through a swim practice with all of you. Um many of my athletes ask me what the swim practices mean, or they had to get a feel for it. But in general, what is a swim practice? I want to dive into that. Um, why we do it the way we do it, um, what the drills mean, some ideas, what kind of kicking with the rests, the sets, and so forth. Um, I want to dive into training plans, the overall concept, which you heard me talk about a little bit two weeks ago, I think. Um why I don't believe that these stock training plans are good, Um, why I don't do them. And then um, also I want to talk about forced training, especially now during the holidays. Um, And then also I want to dive into winter solstice and approaching the training like an elite athlete, like I just talked about. So that is episode 95 and what we're going to talk about and dive into. And of course, there'll be some looking back on 2018 at the end. All right, enjoy. So training plans. This isn't necessarily what I would call a pet peeve, but I've been approached by many athletes over the years and other coaches who say, well, why don't you just sell a training plan, like a basic Ironman plan or a basic 70.3 plan or from couch to 50k or 100 mile training plan and as many of you know from being listeners to this podcast I don't subscribe or believe in that approach at all because I don't even think that'll get you 80% there I think that will get you 40 or 50% there So one of the things that I've learned over the years, in my opinion, again, my opinion, is that accountability to your coach and communication and him or her holding you accountable and listening to you and being an advocate for you, the athlete, and being available for you is important. It's what makes this endurance journey more tolerable to have a sounding board, to have somebody to bounce ideas off of, to have somebody help you navigate the day to day, right? If you're just printing out a training plan, even if it's cheap, And putting it on your refrigerator, that'll last a few weeks for most. Of course, there's always the super disciplined, highly motivated and focused type A that will do that. And, you know, that's totally fine. I'm not even saying that I wasn't once like that, that I could just take a training plan and sort of look at it and apply it in many ways to what I was already going to do. I didn't need that accountability either, but I did my best when I was accountable to somebody, when I had somebody to talk to the training about, even if it was just sort of in a casual way of like expressing to somebody and therefore going through the process myself of how I'm feeling and how the training is going and what I'm observing and how the training's feeling based off of what that coach is giving me or how much it hurts or how I'm able to predict it and so forth with regards to what's coming the next week and I'm excited about the training etc. But so besides that the training plans are too generic in that they give you a basic structure for sure um, for $99, for $125, for $175, right? For 16 weeks or whatever. It's that so many of us already are limited in time, right? And we, we to see a plan that just doesn't apply to our schedule or our life makes it even more overwhelming. And again, the whole purpose of this stuff is in order for you to be successful, to grow, to be healthy, to fit, to be fit, to be motivated, to be in tune with your body, to take your time to not for it not to create a stress. And so a training plan loses all that and it loses what I would call that connection to you and to the meaning of why you're doing it. And it's difficult, this sport and these hours are difficult and enough. And so you would say, well, I can just shuffle things around and make it work for me and get in the totals of the week, like I tell a lot of my athletes. But yeah, and if you're not accountable for that shuffling or explaining that, um, after a while you stop doing that. And after a while then you miss a lot of workouts and you're back to square one. So in general, I would say... Um, if I were you, I would avoid the general training plans or purchasing them. There's plenty of books, there's plenty of magazines that give you a very close idea. So there you come back to the 80-20 rule, right? You get 80% of the gains for free on a generic online um, printout or magazine printout or you know whatever, uh, all the different resources where it's free. It basically gets you 80% there if you can follow a plan like that, right? And then that last 20%, well, that's the difference between paying a fair amount of money, um, 175, 100, whatever, um, or doing it for free and getting 80% there. So that's where you could, if you're comparing those two um, plans, that could work pretty well. But overall, when you're looking and why I'm asked why I don't do training plans, that's the reason why. I believe in the personalization of this. I believe in communicating with you. I believe in helping you navigate family and work and life in general in order for you to do this successfully. I found that most people that follow training plans do this for maybe a year or 18 months and then they move on because they don't have the time to do the training that's based off of a generic plan that says, according to a 14-hour Ironman, you need to do this type of training. And therefore, because it's not personal, because it's not tailored to your schedule, because it seems overwhelming, you don't remain in the endurance lifestyle for very long. It's not sustainable. I don't blame you. And so having a coach, having an advocate is important. And so for sure, not always my coaching. Absolutely. There's plenty of good coaching out there. And uh, again, where they tailor it for you, where they tailor it based off of your schedule and your inputs. And let's say you already do one of the three sports quite well. Let's say you're a runner or you're a swimmer. Well, maybe you just get a coach that specializes in one of the disciplines. I've done that in the past too. I was pretty strong at swimming. and running, which I've always had a knack for. But cycling, I needed the most help. So I had a cycling coach for many years. And that cycling coach um, and I would sit down and then round out the remaining training of swimming and running in order to make it match or fit or get the main concept of his cycling workouts for me and then we'd look at it and feel good about it and then we'd apply that for three weeks or two weeks or or a month or whatever and then we'd sit down again so that again somebody as a sounding board and somebody to help you get through this training because again it will get difficult right so that's training plans and also finally not to not to be sort of a homer here but If you want to make a training plan, write it out and send it my way, and I'll discuss it here on the podcast, and we'll go over some of the main concepts that I think you should have um, in your training. I got an email today from a a couple here in my local community, people that I see quite often, but I'm full. My roster is full with that type of coaching. Um, I have some different slots available for other type of coaching. But that's not important. That's not part of the point here. The point was that I said to them, but I'd be glad to meet you guys for lunch or for dinner or for a beer. And bring me your program. Bring me what you think you need to be doing. Bring me what your limiters are. And let me write out some basic concepts and plans for you. And then maybe in six weeks, we meet again and we talk it through and we go through it. And again, for all of you, I'd be glad to help you with that. Send me that email. We'll go through it. And if you say, you know what, I'm going to follow up in eight weeks with another email, guess what? If I'm putting together eight weeks of training for you on the podcast here and we go through it and uh, talk about concepts, whether it's a 50K, whether it's 50 mile, whether it's an Ironman, whether it's a half Ironman, all of you are benefiting from it. All of you are getting the same similar insights. So at least now I'm talking to you in a more personal way of getting your training done and you all can see how you want to factor these things in because then the advocate could be me whatever but you can see how you can build and design the training around you personally so that you are successful with family and career and life in order to continue to stay in this sport those that stay in the sport not only have um, a better enjoyment with it because they stay fitter and they, they get more and more connected and in tune with their body, but their results also improve. Longevity with regards to endurance sports means you just keep moving on up the age bracket ever so gradually, not age bracket as in you're getting older, duh, but more that you move up in your age group percentage-wise, towards the front. Because again, consistency, repetition, and volume pays off in endurance athletics. You wear down those that aren't as resilient as you. And eventually, because of your longevity and consistency in doing the said activity, you will be successful. So yeah, send me that That those thoughts, that training. That's what we are doing with this Weekly Word Podcast. A community that we can discuss and have you all be successful and be a resource for your ultra endurance needs, nutrition, fueling, insights, training, mindset, strategy, training, uh, race plans, all that. Let's, Let's do that in 2019. Let's make sure we continue to build this community of helping you be successful in the ultra endurance world, right? I can continue, I can not continue, I can bring on guests week after week and talk about how they did it or what they do or how they make it work, this pro triathlete and that, runner, but that doesn't connect as much to you as when you send me an email and we can break it down together. Because that's real life, real world, not elite triathlete, not elite swimmer, runner, biker, or or, um, trail runner, but you, you, the person doing your first half marathon trail race. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Like I said earlier, for me, those athletes that are willing to start connecting with themselves and get into better tune and harmony with their bodies, whether that's a 5K, a 50K, a 100K, whatever it is. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be healthier in an endurance lifestyle. And you can have it all, I keep saying that, but those are my closing sort of strategic words in this podcast for 2018. You can have it all, you can be an endurance athlete, you can be an, an ultra endurance athlete, have young children, have a career have everything everything that you you your soul is uh is pining for to to be and what it's you know you want to be that mom who's present and there for you for your children young children you want to be engaged in your work and um feel uh, creative and alive doing it and You also want to be engaged and alive and connected to yourself and your own fitness and your own health and your own nourishment and your own growth as an athlete, as a person. And those, when you put all those three together, absolutely, it's 100% possible. But I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen with just a generic training plan. So, all right, I belabored that point enough. Okay, so this topic is something that has been coming up consistently over many years of my coaching. I'm surprised I haven't addressed it or talked about on a podcast earlier, but that is a swim practice. And there's so many intimidating things about swimming. Um, In general, swimming is not something that's natural for many. Most people know how to ride their bikes. Um, You learn that at a very young age, and most people know how to run. Although in, over the years, as we get older, we lose our connection to our running. And as children, we're able to run freely. And I would say 90% of those children, when they run freely at a young age, they're running with perfect form. Great stride, great foot landing, great balance, all that. It looks really good, forward, lean, natural. And over the years, because of imbalances or confusion or difficulties as well as um, weight gain we lose that ability to run so but it's somewhere in us and through consistent running we can get way better and close to reconnecting to our best running self with cycling we can train consistently and get more and more efficient and understand it we can see ourselves doing it swimming on the other hand is so foreign to so many people We can't really see ourselves doing it. Like we think we see ourselves doing it or we think we're doing X. But then when we see a video of ourselves, it's, oh my gosh, I'm doing it completely different. I thought I looked like this. So swimming, 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 swimming. There's so much to talk about here. And so this might be a longer topic, but I'm gonna dive right in. I'm gonna take a sample swim workout here. This one is about 4,000 yards. So let's start right there. A lot of my athletes struggle with when I put give them 4,000, 3,500 to 4,000 yards right off the bat, right when they start with me. They're like, oh my God, I never swam that much in my life. Well, the point here is not necessarily to get in the yardage. Hear that? Not have to get in the yardage. It's more about the time. Spend the time in the pool. If it says an hour, hour and 15, hour and a half, that's what I'm looking for. So i um, I'm, Over time, you will get further in the yardage and that will be fine and it'll show a great progress and you'll get more confident in the pool. But for now, one hour, 115 is a minimum of your swimming time, unless it's a recovery swim or it's something after a strength workout or something like that. But a swim workout, anything less than an hour is really not as beneficial and anything over an hour and a half is a bit too much because you're just going to be noodle arms for like a, a two, three days. So, but an hour and 10, hour and 15, hour and 20 is very good and leaves you really feeling alive, a good workout and solid. So that's one thing that many of my athletes are already confused about. And then secondly, yes, the yardage and those are the paces based off the time. But I don't look at that. I look at the volume of time for the week. So at the end of the week, if you swam three and a half total hours, that's great. That's great. I'm not looking at your average pace, nor should you. I had a conversation with an athlete the other day. They were looking at They were not counting their kicks and they were always stopping their clock at the walls so that they can get a good idea of what their average pace for the workout is. I was like, please don't do that. One, we don't care. That's not something we're looking at because you're supposed to be changing speeds and stopping and slowing down and drilling and doing different things. And so looking at average pace for the entire workout would be not a good data input. When I swim, Let's say 4,000 yards, it takes me an hour and 15 minutes to do that, about 110 to 115. No, I'm not swimming straight through. That includes rest, that includes warm up, that includes um, kicking, that includes drills, that includes goofing around time, that includes extra rest on some walls, a lot, little rest on other walls, right? So, and I don't look at overall total time and pace for that workout. Yes, there's sets that I like to know what my paces were, but I don't see those on my watch. I see those on the pace clock on the wall that I just got in and swam live. And after that workout, it's done, it's gone. I know if I'm getting faster because I can consistently see if my swim times, the intervals that I'm choosing on the pace clock are getting better or getting faster. Or if I'm choosing a faster pace or if the pace that I'm swimming at nets me a faster time and so forth. So there's many inputs on how we know we can be swimming faster. Please don't swim with the watch, please. And then like I was saying the other day on my, in my newsletter, uh, using the Fini um, Swim Trainer is a great tool. And I go into a little bit more detail there and in an instructional video on how to use that. Because those of you that don't have a pace clock on the wall, and then you're saying, well, Chris, what do I do without a pace clock on the wall? You're, not, you're telling me not to use a watch. Um, so, okay, let me take a step back. First of all, never ever wear a heart rate monitor in the pool, that's just the big no-no. Um, no reason for it. It has—it's The data is completely different than anything's biking or running. It's a, a, ver- a very arbitrary number. And so that's a no no. So we don't need that. And you might ask the follow up question, why is it an arbitrary number? Swimming is the only sport in the world in the world where you hold your breath while you're doing the activity at a high intensity effort that makes your heart rate go all over the place. And it's a very random number. Now, you can chart it over time and therefore, to, but you need to do specific lactate sets in order to chart that properly and do it monthly. And you know, from a swimmer's standpoint and high-level swimming, there are ways that we do test that. And your heart rate efficiency and your metabolic rate in the water as well as your um, lactate threshold and lactate curve all can be done in the water with heart rate as well as blood but we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about your swimming for triathlon. And so no reason for a heart rate monitor, and then you're left with the watch. If you're constantly focused on hit and start and stop, It takes away from what you're trying to concentrate on in the water, which is a feel for the water, a glide for the water, your body's movements on the water, your rotation in the water, your distance per stroke, DPS in the water, your movement of hips in the water, your kick in the water, how you're grabbing the water and um, how you're extending your fingers and grabbing wave water way out in front of you and where your hand enters, and how you're pulling through, and how you're breathing, and where you're looking where you're breathing. I mean, there's so many other things to be doing when you're swimming, that looking at a watch and being paying attention to that, not worth it. Now, um, Apple Watches have introduced themselves to the swimming world over the last um, year, actually, 2018, late 2017. Before that, it wasn't quite as decent and accurate. But Yeah, it is nice to know your total yardage for the workout after a workout, but that's in the case of a master's workout where you've been given the workout and you haven't added it up during the workout. But if you have a workout that I've given you based off of a set and so forth, I give you the total right there. (laughs) Okay, Chris, you said swim by the time and do as much of the sets as possible. Okay, so then yes, look at your totals on your Apple Watch. That might work, but don't look at your intervals or work on the watch. Look at your um, pace clock. And if you don't have a pace clock, go to the um, Feeney website and look at that Tempo Trainer Pro or something like that. Again, I think my third newsletter had a pretty detailed description um, um, and videos and instruction towards that and all the benefits of it. But anyway. The other thing is, so yeah, so no watch. And that's the important part of swimming. Um, the last thing that I'll say about swimming before I dive into one of the workouts is that we, we want to swim in order to get through a triathlon. And again, many of you have heard this before on the podcast, but I am a strong believer, and this is my opinion, you, you might just shake your head at me and um, uh, ignore this. But my opinion is no matter uh, what you're looking to do in the swimming realm of triathlon you if you're at this level of swimming will never become a swimmer swimmer right um where you're doing two three butterfly kicks off the walls doing limited breathing you're swimming you know your hundred send-offs are 105, 110 consistently. And if you needed to, you could go under a minute at any point in time for 100 yard freestyle. Um, that you can do all the strokes efficiently for the whole workout. And so that you're truly a swimmer. That's a different conversation. And that's a different subgroup that I'm talking about. You're on both sides of the bell curve then. But for the bell curve for the majority of you, don't go to a master swim practice or um, approach swimming thinking that you're going to be a swimmer. You're going to approach it that I'm a triathlete looking to get as efficient and with that faster in the swim portion of my triathlon, of my hour, hour and a half swim in the full Ironman, in the Thirty to forty-five minutes of my half Ironman, and so forth. So, if you already change your mindset with regard to that, how am I getting through this? I'm not going. I'm not looking to become a swimmer. I'm looking to become a more efficient triathlon swimmer, which is open water, which is no flip turns, which is no strokes, which is um, has other skills, longer, steadier swimming, not short, explosive swimming, um, longer strokes and different in a wetsuit versus in a pool and you know gradually warming up to speed and holding that speed versus off the blocks explosive power right away into your 200 freestyle or whatever that is so Um, nor are you, if you are a swimmer, yeah, then you train it a little bit differently because you want to swim off the front. So you might want to accelerate the first five minutes so that you don't have a lot of people or you have some empty water in front of you and then can swim the rest of the swim in your stroke, in your effort, in your tempo, in your arm turnover with your kick and your groove um, and rhythm versus being dictated by others. But again, that's the people on the far end of the bell curve that are already swimmers where I will give them some different work. But yeah, so keep that in mind. Swimming for triathlon, not to become a swimmer. All right, so most swim practices start with a warm-up. And it's a 400 choice, a 200 choice, a 500 choice, whatever. Choice is swim what you want. Take that 400, 25 yards being one length, two lengths being 50 yards and so forth, 100 yards being four uh, four lengths, and of course a 400 choice being 16 lengths of choice. Now you see on the workout, if you're gonna have some kicking and pulling after that coming up, but if not, mix in some kick. Swim nice and easy. Get warm in the water. Get comfortable moving your joints again. It's a very controlled, relaxed, easy 400 right and then oftentimes i have some kicking some 100 kick or some 50s kick to activate the feet and the kicking portion of your freestyle and then i have some pulling with a pull buoy between your legs to activate the upper body without the kick just to separate the two and then sort of just wake up all the parts of our body i like to do some catch-up swimming um as also to lengthen our stroke and glide more and catch up is where both hands are in the front of our stroke at 12 o'clock above our head as we're laying flat in the water and we pull one arm through on a freestyle pull while the other arm remains forward, never moves from up there. You need to have a pretty decent kicking motion while that arm is forward and the other one's pulling through. And then when that one arm is done pulling through, it returns back to the front. And that's one catch up. You caught up to the other arm that remained up front. Then you switch the other arm. Pull that through while the other arm remains up front in that 12 o'clock position. Pull through, still kicking, bring that back to 12 o'clock. And then therefore that's two catch ups, right? So again, just really focusing on one arm, motions, body position, kicking, What? how badly you're sinking while you're swimming. Um, That all is highlighted in catch-up swimming. So it's a great drill to do. The latest approach by a lot of coaches is to do less catch-up swimming because it does promote some um, bad form in many cases. A lot of times when our arms are forward, At the 12 o'clock position, especially both of them, we seem to tend to drop our elbow so that our one arm, our hand is at the water surface, but our elbow is lower than our hand. So it makes it difficult to start your freestyle stroke where your hand is always lower, always lower than your elbow. At all points of the freestyle stroke, from the extension up front, your hand and your forearm drops before and begins the stroke motion before your elbow and your upper arm, and then your shoulder does it. So um, another thing that comes up is that people ask me, well, high elbow, I thought that meant high on the water surface. No, high elbow means, like I was just saying, that it's higher than your hand and your wrist and then your forearm. But as you're pulling through the stroke, your elbow still goes deep into the water with everything else, but because your hand dropped um, and started the stroke earlier than your forearm, which started its stroke before your elbow, so you're sort of dropping the front part of your arm before you let the elbow follow, you are automatically keeping a pretty powerful, connected, leveraged freestyle stroke. But if I were to put light anodes on your elbow, and look at you from the side swimming in a computer simulation or with a computer program, your elbow goes from um, the water surface or right below the water surface and almost a semicircle um, straight down and sweeps back in a half circle to the back of your stroke and then comes back out again. That's a little flatter because you don't bring your elbow in a circle over your shoulder. You sort of swing it wider, but underwater piece, it goes from extended out in front of you, elbow now, to sweeping down and through past your hips and then back up again. And then we have to lift the elbow in order to bring the arm and the rest of the shoulder out of the water. So the elbow comes out of the water first, but then sort of swings forward. But continue to keep in mind that as the elbow and hand, as the hand falls and the forearm falls before the elbow, then the elbow begins its semicircle, half-circle motion, if you were to look at it from the side. So um, yeah, so some drills, other drills include um, sculling. I'm a real big fan of sculling. That's something you can see on YouTube. Single arm freestyle, again, whether it's at your side or up front, there's benefits and ad- ad- advantages to each drill. There is head up freestyle, which means you're breathing forward and your mouth is out of the water. You try to keep your head as still as possible and you are um, almost like what's called water polo stroke, but a lot of times those guys bob from side to side, whereas if you keep your head super still and breathe forward without bobbing from side to side, that means you're getting good water pressure at the front of your stroke. Remember when I say the front of your stroke, it's extended out in front of you, your arms sort of out front there at 12 o'clock. Good pressure up front means your hand is pushing down as it starts its freestyle stroke, which means you can keep your head up it's your counter force and you're pulling through pushing down and with your hands before your elbows right Um, and then pushing down straight down and gradually pushing back as your body moves past your arm so that's a really good drill um that's called for that's beneficial for front quadrant swimming um, which is the power on the front there what else uh You know, there's there's so many good drills. There's Superman drill, which means you come off the wall, you push off the wall and you hold your arms at eleven o'clock and one o'clock and your head neutral, looking not down chin against your chest, but more neutral, straight down. Um, and you glide as far as you can. And you can start kicking with that a little bit, but again, you want to be in the old black and white Superman position where he's just sort of flying across the sky, looking down, scanning. Um There's what I like a lot. Many people would struggle with this, but I like what's called the Nathan Adrian drill. I'm not sure if there's a um, YouTube video of it, but it's almost like the doggy paddle, but um, you're really extending your arms out in front of you, grabbing water and pulling back on it. But that's a hard one to do, so maybe we stay away from that. But that's some of the drills. Um, 200 kick, 200 pull, 400 choice, or 100 kick. Two pull, let's say 400 choice. So now we're a good 700 yards in. What I usually like to do then is do some 50s or some 25s or some 75s to pick up the heart rate, get the arm turnover going because now we're 700 into our warm up. Now let's do some higher speed and heart rate um, waking up type of uh, sets. So maybe 475s, build in speed each 25. So 25 easy. 25 medium speed, 25 fast, right? 75 continuous like that. But start the first length easy. The second length is a little faster, uh, moderate effort. And then the third length is very fast. Or you can do um, 450s, build from one to four. So the first one is easy. Second 50 is a little bit faster. Third one is fast. And the fourth one is very fast. Something like that. Again, get the heart rate up. You can also do 25s where, you know, you build, which means you, you start the, the, the length easy with the push-off and gradually over the length of the 25, you build the speed and leg-to-arm turnover and kick up so you hit the wall the last two, three, four yards going not maximum speed but quite fast. Um, so, so, So just something to get the heart rate going. And then you have something like a main set. And then this depends on what we're getting ready for or what time of year it is. But, you know, the difference between open water swimming and, and a lot of swim practices is that, A, there's a lot more stru- um, regular freestyle, but we're getting ready for 40 to an hour and a half, uh, 40 to 90 minutes of steady swimming. And we want that steady output that we feel good holding on the far edge of what we feel is realistically realistic we can hold, but we're fit and we're strong, so therefore we're gonna to try to hold it. And from that perspective, we wanna get faster at that steady. So in order to do that, we've gotta do a lot of hundreds and 150s and 200s, so here and there, some 300s and 400s, maybe an 800 pull or a 1,000 freestyles, things like that so that you have a, a good distance aspect in mind. And in general, you want to keep in mind that swimming in a pool is very similar to a track workout. you warm up, you sit around for a while, then you do some drills, and you sit around a while and stretch, and then you do your main set. You know, at the track, it's 400 and 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 1600s and so forth, and strides and stuff like that and then you warm it down. And so similar here, warm up and some drills, and then the main set. So eight 100s, let's say you build them in one to four. So one to four gets faster, and then five to eight gets faster again. Um, Negative split is a comment that comes up a lot. So a 200 freestyle is two 100s, right, continuous but whereby the second 100 is faster than the first 100. So you have to start very easy in order to do that, but also you want the ability to be able to be faster on the back half. That's just a question of resilience of your fitness and strength and in that endurance. Uh, So that works well. Uh, uh, Negative splits works great. Um, You also have a lot of steady stuff where you're hitting the same interval, what you wanna hit the same um, finishing time of that 100 or 150 or 200 or whatever the distance is each time. So for example, let's say you're doing 875s or 1075s or 1275s of freestyle and it says steady. So steady means, let's say you come in on each uh, uh, 75 in a minute, right? That's 20 seconds per 25. Um, That's a 40 second 50, so a minute, let's say. Let's say you did the first one in one minute. And then what I typically see by triathletes is that they um, gradually get slower. So they'll send the second one at 102 and then the third one at 102 and then the fourth one at 104 and then the fifth one at 106 and the seventh one at 107. So here's the dilemma and what you, why you heard me talk about this a few weeks ago. If the rest interval, it says, is 10 se- take 10 seconds rest, well, you don't know if you're getting faster or slower. Well, you sort of do, but you're getting the same rest every time. So you can slow down. And your improvement in fitness and endurance and in ability and in strength of your swimming is not getting better because you're slowing and you're getting the same rest. So instead, you want to either, if you find the right effort level early, let's say you started with a 103 and you do 10 seconds rest and you see the first two or three that if you go on 115, which means you got technically 12 seconds rest, not big deal, but it keeps you consistent. And then you hold eight more at 103 to 104, or maybe even dip to a 105. But you're getting that 10 seconds rest on that interval of 115. Whereas if you start too fast and continue to get slower and still get 10 seconds rest, there's no Performance, there's no fitness gains there. Because what happens when you have a set interval and you take it out too fast and you send, set the interval on that or you start fading, you get less and less rest, which is fine because it helps you determine and figure out your pacing and your um, intervals for the next workout. For example, on those 1275s, let's say it's 10 seconds rest is the, is the guidance. And you started by saying, okay, I swam the first one in one double O, so I should swim 110. Great. So the first one you did a little bit too fast, but now you push off at 110. And then it goes to 13, 103, and 104, and 105 by the sixth or seventh 75. Well, now you're only getting three or four or five seconds rest. Now it becomes too challenging to hold that. And so you're grating your teeth and hanging on, hopefully, for as long as you can, or You know for next time, maybe I'll take it out slower in order to determine my interval. I always swim swim quite controlled on the first of any interval in order to get a realistic set time for my interval push-off. Now, in most cases, I know what I'm going to do prior based off of the instructions of the workout, but that's still a good way to determine what interval you want to swim. So instead there, I would say I swam a little bit easier on the first of those 1275s and then decided to swim on 115 because I swam a 104 on the first one. I know I'm probably going to slow a little bit. So that guarantees me nine to 10 seconds rest throughout. And then if you feel pretty good or if you feel frisky, as I like to say in my second class, well, then you can always speed it up on the back half of the of the, the set and get a little bit more rest, that's fine. But it just shows your fitness and your ability, but you want to be able to swim on an interval for those purposes. Otherwise, you're just giving yourself more and more rest as you're slowing and it's gonna limit your fitness gains. Now, of course, there's some fitness gains, but there's it's not as efficient and maximizing your training time as we want to. So what other questions might come up in swimming? Um, You know, there's different speeds. There's fast down, easy back, for example. So on a 50, there's 225. So on the way down, the first 25, you go fast, and then easy on the way back. Again, in swimming, just like in running, you wanna have clear difference in speed, right? Um, I hear people ask me about long, Swimming along, that, all that means is swimming with a longer glide and giving yourself a little bit more distance per stroke. So you're gliding a little bit further. You all know ice skaters, um, speed skaters. They start off at the gun at the Olympics with that choppy quick stroke and go, but then they start getting longer and longer and gliding and longer. Well, a similar concept applies in swimming. Oftentimes we're too choppy. So when we're pulling or we have an easier set and we're slowing down the effort, we wanna go a longer, further distance per stroke. So let's say you use 14 or 16 strokes for the length of freestyle. Um, maybe that one you use 14 or 15 instead of 16. You're going longer, okay? It's not a, it's not a hard drill. It's just more, give myself a little bit more reach more distance per stroke on my freestyle. What else might come up? Build, right? You start easy and get faster. That could be within the distance, so within the 50. So that means you push off the first length and you start pretty easy. And then in the middle of the length, you get a little faster. Then you come to the turn and you come, to that first half of the second length gets even faster and you finish the final quarter of that 50, the last half length. Um, going very fast. Um, Breathing patterns come up. So breathing three, five, seven by 25, many see, or breathing every third or every fifth. So that's breathing every third stroke or every fifth stroke by 25, which means by length or by hundred, which means by every hundred. So if it's um, a 400 pull, right? That's four hundreds all together. So breathing three, five, seven, nine, by 100. So, breathing every third, the first 100, breathing every five, the second 107, the third 109, the fourth 100 because I would write by 25 if you want that switching over and over each 100, right? So that the first 25 of the 100 is third breath, the second 25 is breathing every fifth and so forth. So, it usually says it quite closely in the description. Sometimes I will have you swim with a buoy only or with paddles and a buoy, right? Uh, Paddles in order to use bigger muscle groups and go more muscular. And uh, also you can get more distance per stroke within your paddles because you're displacing more water. But also because you're using bigger muscles might require more oxygen. So then I usually put a breathing pattern in there so that we have the double effect of bigger muscle groups using more oxygen, but yet I'm controlling the oxygen with a breathing pattern in there. And then it's a little bit easier with just the pull buoy. That just keeps your lower body up and um, less kicking, which many triathletes don't do enough kicking anyway. So therefore, it's not like they're that much slower. They're actually a little bit faster because it keeps their lower body up. So sometimes i see plenty of triathletes cheating yes i call a little bit of cheating when you are using a pull buoy um you should prepare to do without that now then i hear athletes say well i'm wearing a wetsuit usually in in the swim well that's free speed sweet if you can swim speed x in a swim practice and you have a number in your mind on how you're going to swim in the lake or in the ocean And then you put on a wetsuit, you know, you're going to get a speed bonus because that wetsuit's going to make it easier for you. You'd rather want the practice to be harder. That's why you see a lot of swimmers, including me, wear a drag suit in our swim practices. I don't want to be super fast in a swim practice. I want resistance and drag so that then when I switch to not only not a drag suit, but then to a wetsuit, my performance and my times and my overall feel in the water feels so much faster because I don't have something weighing me down and the wetsuit keeping me even more buoyant so don't underestimate that um what else Um, there's times also where I say fins well that's mainly in order to use the biggest muscles in our of our body our glutes and our buttocks and our hamstrings and so forth that are required in order to do a full Big long swimming set. Fins are so fast that you have to choose a faster interval, faster send-off when you wear them. And in some cases, I even have athletes wear paddles and fins. No pole boy, but paddles and fins. Again, using all the big muscles. It makes you it makes you really fast, but it also uses a lot of energy, oxygen, and power. So let's say those 75s that we talked about earlier you were doing them on a minute. Now you do them with a similar effort with fins and paddles. You probably can do them in 54, maybe even 50. So yes, that seems doable, fun, at first, but then by the time three or four or five of them roll around, even with still that extra rest of 110, and you come in at 54 or 50, it's a lot of extra rest, you'll run out of energy quickly because it requires so much oxygen use because you're using your big muscles. It's very powerful. Now you can't swim easy paddles and fins. That usually needs to be a stronger effort. Otherwise you don't get the benefit of putting them on in the first place. In general, in swimming, you want to change those speeds dramatically. And so unless it says easy pulling, that's just more for active recovery. But otherwise, you want to do it for the purposes of why you're wearing the equipment. Otherwise, don't wear equipment. Okay, I think that covers a lot of the swimming aspects. But if not, send me an email and I'd be glad to discuss further here on the podcast. All right, our last topic before I go into some listener emails is today is winter solstice. It's one of my um, top five favorite days of the year. <laughs> you might wonder, what is he talking about? Well, what I've always liked about winter solstice is that it's sort of the end of the uh, laxadaisical training weeks and it's where to me the season begins in earnest and back in my Ironman triathlon days it worked out very well that way um you finish Kona in mid-October and so it gives you until mid-November and mid-December to take two months of lighter training shifting the focus reducing the hours um doing things based off the weather and how the conditions are outside. And then usually as of the winter solstice, what I would do is move to a more structured, focused format. Winter solstice means that the coast ride for me is only a few weeks away, which means I'm being ready to ride, you know, 120 miles a day for five days in a row. It means, uh, Um, that we're about to kick into the holidays. And so while I'm not looking for a specific type of fitness yet, it's just, again, a structure and a placeholder that sets for the holidays um, a sense of urgency and focus towards, all right, I'm back to training, training again. And that doesn't mean necessarily hours. A lot of athletes seem to think just because we're focused on training, that could be 30, 45 minutes a day. That does not mean big hours, but it means that what we're doing, we're fully engaged in, we know what the outcome is, we know we're doing it on that day, we know while we're focusing on it, how it fits into the big picture, how we're laying bricks and chopping wood for future outcomes. And the final reason, which many of you know, why I like the winter solstice so much is because as of this day, the days get longer. I love that. But I build the training around that. So what does that mean? Back in my working days, what that meant is that I would come home from work. Let's say I worked market hours on the West Coast. So that means I'd leave work around 2 2.30 2.30 and be home by three-ish. And so I'd go ride my bike until maybe 4.30 because it started getting too dark. I mean, I'd mean, i have a blinky light on to maybe roll in at 4.45. But as of this day, every time I ride my bike, not every day, but every couple of days, I could ride longer. And the growth in time, ever so gradual, two, three minutes here, two, three minutes there, would gradually come, you know, March, have added up quite significantly that now I can ride two and a half hours instead of one and a half hours. It was a very organic way to grow the endurance, to grow the fitness. Nothing with regards to too hard of an effort, but just more time. Or I could structure the training that I do some intervals. um, I only have time for one or two during the winter months uh, with shorter days right now. But in a few weeks, I might have time for three intervals. And then again, come February or March, I may might have time for four or five intervals, a very healthy way to grow the training volume again, and the structure. Um, Same thing running, not as much swimming, because that is what it is. But I like training during the day and using the daylight hours to my advantage. And it's a great way to gradually build hours. And so I also look at it, and I use this week in my training peaks as sort of a placeholder. I take the averages over the last few weeks and sort of see where I was and how I trained with regards to volume, not with regards to intensity or focus, but with regards to volume. And then I sort of take a big picture yearly approach where I say, okay, my hours will not fall below the last few weeks of hours. So let's say I trained eight hours or 10 hours over the last few weeks per week or 11 hours or 12. The number, it doesn't matter. It's more just that going forward, my recovery weeks will be at least the eight, nine or 10, 11 hours. It will be my bottom line that there will be no falling below that for the next season. Whenever that ends, whether it ends in October or November or even August, I don't know. Um, but the point is, I use this as sort of a placeholder for volume, for hours, for focus, and for sort of setting my recovery weeks. And it just, it just allows for a very organic growth into the season. And it ties into, this is one of many examples of how we, how we want to allow the training to come to us. If the weather is crappy, we run and do core and do strength or go for a swim indoors. If the weather is sunny and the roads are dry, we try to get outdoors. Now I realize that we have weekends usually only for this, but choose it. And until we need the structure and the focus of the training, don't tax yourself mentally with your motivation until that time comes. And what I mean by that is let's say it's pouring rain or it's slushy, snow, cold rain on a Saturday and you're supposed to ride your bike. And you're like, well, I committed to this or both days are like that and you sort of, but I need to get in a bike ride this weekend. That's fine and good for you. And if you can get outside, that's great. Or if you're on a trainer and so forth. But what I'm saying is don't put in five hours into that weather right now. This is not the time to force it and to maximize those training hours. Instead, give yourself the opportunity. Well, okay, this week I didn't get as much in. I don't wanna tax my motivation, my mind, and my, my heart into doing this already now in December. It will get hard enough come March, April, May, June, July. There will be some very difficult days now is not the time to force it right i had a conversation the other day with an athlete that they were saying um, they're trying to find their fitness and i said to him no 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 let's change that wording right there you're not finding your fitness your fitness isn't something that's just going to magically appear behind a door um, and i know how he was describing it but but even just changing it to I'm building my fitness. I don't ever want to be fit like before. I'm not trying to find a certain fitness. I want to build a solid fitness, a new fitness, a new normal, a new growth. And that ties into not forcing the training as well. Will I'll be better in the spring if I'm not asking myself to run in that hailstorm right now. Sure, I talk about how. We also don't wanna be careful to not overdo it on the trainer because there's many hours there, but just look at your options. Is there a skate skiing opportunity? Is there running or a long hike opportunity? Is there running in yak tracks outside opportunity? Like I talked about last week, find something or find ways to be creative with your training now because the work is coming. The structure is coming. And the times in training are coming where you will need to get out there. Either way, it's raining. Ugh, all right. Well, it could rain on race day, so I better get used to it. Or it is cold and windy. It could be cold and windy on race day, so I better get used to it. But if you're uh, asking yourself to do too much at this time of year, think just, just, just have that conversation with yourself if you're taxing yourself beyond what you need to yet. Don't, don't get me wrong, we, I'm, a, I'm a big believer of training through it. But I also want you to be, again, longevity and consistency over time. And a lot of athletes have so much energy and motivation now, but when it really comes down to it, and we need every single workout, That's when I want them to have that energy and that motivation and going back and saying, "Ugh, I'm already exhausted from this season because I was like forcing it to be out there in the rain for four hours on a Saturday in December. No, 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 no. Let's avoid that. And let's be creative in our outcomes towards building our fitness. Like I always say, the heart doesn't know what you're doing. It only knows how it's pumping blood in an aerobic capacity and working with your lungs and your oxygen delivery and a certain heart rate. So if you can get that hiking, if you can get that skiing, if you can get that ice skating, if you can get that um, <clears throat> water running, if you can get that doing jumping jacks and core and strength and treadmill and Stairmaster and whatever those things are called with. the the stairs come down and you keep climbing stairs in the same spot. And then the thing turns under the, the machine and it goes flat again and then comes down the stairs. I think those things are hilarious. People climbing stairs in one spot. Hey, whatever it takes. Again, there's plenty of athletes that are traveling or visiting family right now. And you get to the gym where your parents or your family might have a membership and you're like, oh, great. There's nothing here or it's packed right it's packed and all the treadmills are taken well figure we'll figure something out like just do something else do one of those where you're moving your arms back and forth and your legs are going up and down i don't even know what those things are called but again i've done that in the past again just to get something aerobic going the heart doesn't know and if it's more social there and if you can get go with your friends or your sister or your brother that you haven't seen in a while and you're home for the holidays yes that's what i'm talking about Don't force it, use it at this time of year just to figure it out because the training is coming. And your consistency now of doing a little something every day in some shape or fashion will have a big impact, not only on your fitness down the road when we ask you to do more and push harder and dig deeper with your training and be more strict with your schedule, but also, Mentally, you'll be way fresher from having done things differently, from having backed off the edge a little bit and still done something aerobic every day, but not forced yourself into a difficult mental energy overcoming because we get fatigued from that. So keep that in mind. And what is winter solstice? Well, just a quick note It's the winter's, um, it's the northern hemisphere's day that gets the least sunlight. And some of us might complain about darkness, but without it, we might not be alive. If we're in the sun all day, we'd be dead dead. I think that's what they say. Um, We need our sleep and recovery, and so darkness helps with that. And uh, seasons occur because most planets do not spin perfectly upright. Our Earth's axial tilt is about ooh, 23 degrees, for example. And I know there's other planets that uh, are at spin at like 70 and 80, even 90 degrees. And so the Earth's tilt is good for us humans because it helps us moderate our sun exposure. Our four seasons are comparatively mild. And thanks to our proximity to the sun, fairly brief. Can you imagine if we had sun for many years at a time and then many months and years of darkness at a time? So, for example, um, Uranus, by contrast, has spends winters in permanent darkness and summers under constant sunlight. And those seasons last decades <laughs> in Earth years. Wouldn't be fun dealing with it there. We'd have long winters training seasons. <laughs> anyway, that was just a little Wikipedia tidbit I saw on winter solstice. All right, you can approach your training like an elite athlete from day one, despite being a complete newbie in the sport. And first of all, all elite athletes started as newbies. That's just how the world works. Many of us were young children when that happened. So, um, We don't quite remember how new we were, but we were awkward and insecure and had fears back then too as little children, walking onto the pool deck for the first time, walking out, uh, riding our bike at a bike um, race for the first time. You always feel new or awkward at times, but you can approach the training like an elite athlete from day one in your prep in the clothes, and the things you're laying out for the workout to ensure you can have a successful workout. In communication with your coach or with your journal, with your training journal, or how it felt or what you observed, and sort of afterwards what you could have done better and what you look forward to tomorrow. Or you can, that's, I mean, all these little things are approaching. You don't have to be elite in your practice. You don't need to be elite in how you communicate and fill out your journal, your training journal, no. Anybody could do that. In listening to your body, you don't need to be elite or some high-end athletes. You can learn to hear how you're breathing and how you're feeling and how ache you are and how heavy you feel or how light you feel or how much better you feel than yesterday. Or how you feel your heart rate in your throat. Or if you feel nervous or bonky or high energy or low energy. It's all part of it. And so again, you don't have to be elite in listening to your body. You don't have to be elite. You can be completely new with your regards to your mindset and your focus and towards deliberate training. So just because you're brand new, and you're getting ready for your first 5K doesn't mean that when you do six times 60 seconds fast in your 30 minute run, you don't approach it with the same focus and deliberate um, movements and actions and outcomes as some world-class sprinter. Now, no, you might not run as fast as him, of course, or you might not look as cool as him or, or her, or you might not um, be, be as graceful, but again, it's your mindset. It's you turning the switch on and clearly going faster or higher leg turnover or truly st- digging into the effort versus just sort of, uh it says 60 seconds fast. I only did three of them today because I spaced out. That is not being an elite athlete. So complete beginner, you can handle and approach and view and apply your training just like a world-class athlete. You don't have to be a world-class athlete or an elite athlete to just follow the plan, to do what it says in your prescription for the workout and execute it to the best of your ability, your ability. And that's all the world-class athlete does too. He looks at his training plan, he looks at his workout, and it completes it to the best of his or her ability. You are the same as them. You are an elite athlete. It's a mindset. It's not a skill. It's not a talent. It's not an ability. That way you will get the most out of your training and feel good about how you're growing as an athlete. And like I always said to swimmers in the past, you who are not yet an elite athlete with regards to outcomes and performance and speed and times and results, have more potential than any elite athlete, than any world-class athlete. Those guys are already there. They're already fast. They're already elite. But look at your potential. You can still grow by leaps and bounds and improve in so many areas. That's exciting. Those guys and girls, they have to focus on so much minutia and details to squeak out tenths of seconds a minute here a minute there you're working you're operating in hours and <laughs> in 45 30 minute chunks that's awesome right your second 10k might be 20 minutes faster than your first 10k that's exciting Do you think any world-class elite 10 k is going 20 minutes faster? Heck no. If they find eight seconds, 12 seconds, they're ecstatic. They're on top of the world. So you have more potential than all of them. Keep that in mind. So it's just a mindset. It's how you approach it. It's how you believe it and how you go about yourself and handle yourself and present yourself because that's also how you will treat yourself. As you train, as you prep, as you think about your training, you will treat yourself and not judge yourself as if you're trying to be those world class. And no, you're doing everything that they're doing. And therefore, you have the mindset and the approach just like them. And you can carry yourself and be just like them. I've gotten some really beautiful emails here towards the end of the year. And most of them thanking me for the podcast and helping them achieve in some related extended way um, their endurance goals by what they're listening to here on the podcast. And it, it makes me feel not only really good, but that just closes the circle for me on why we're doing this podcast. And I say we, because you are all contributors when you send me an email question and are part of this. And I hope Many, many of you continue to do that because it keeps me connected to what you are all curious to learn about. And in many respects, I understand that there's many things you don't you didn't even realize you were learning about when you're listening to this. But that is my goal, so that we can continue to grow this endurance community, to continue to demystify any of this. And that is actually quite easy when you break it down to do the training for this. And that the only thing that gets in the way is schedule and life and so forth, which is no small thing. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the training shouldn't be what overwhelms you. It's our schedule and our life and our priorities and the different things that we're being tugged at that um, make it complicated. And so In return, I wanted to thank you all for sharing with me your thoughts and some very personal emails as well over the past year, um, some of you with with, um, autoimmune diseases and a variety of other issues and still doing this endurance sport and still wanting to be part of achieving your goals and your endurance outcomes, and that is amazing. And I'm, I'm so proud to have a little tiny part in that and in helping you somehow navigate this endurance journey a little bit better. I've gotten emails about um, from athletes and former athletes with regards to the three-legged stool and how they're looking how they are balancing things better and reflecting on if they are feeling good about keeping the legs maybe not fully balanced, but at least their three um, significant legs of work life, uh, career, professional life being one leg, personal and family life being another leg and spouse and loved ones. And then finally, their training and self-care and endurance and health and fitness leg. And one athlete even sent me a note saying that He's super proud that this year he actually focused on the three legs and he's looking forward to in 2019 extending those legs, making them not necessarily um, more balanced, but more powerful, more significant, more meaningful, which to me, the way I read that means that when, our, when we put our time in our buckets every day that we know we spent them on those three things, the three meaningful things, or sometimes four or five meaningful things in our day. And that we didn't waste a lot of time in other things that don't carry as much meaning to us and contribute to our overall um, well being and self care. Um, we all have to work and grow and professionally and career. I get that. So when we're in that, we want to be fully present and alive and feel motivated to be there too. And when we're with family, of course, and loved ones and spouses and so forth and siblings and extended family, we want to be fully there and alive and loving and caring and open and in the room at all times. And finally, when we're training, We all know what that is (laughs) when we're out there and we feel absolutely alive and great and healthy and fit and connected. And um, we feel energy flowing through us that we know that that energy will be um, harnessed to also give towards our loved ones and that other leg of the stool with family. That energy will be available when we need it in our personal and uh, in our professional and our work and career life with regards to that leg of the stool that we have more patience and that we're more jovial and that we're more complete and feel more satisfied while we're at work because the other legs of the stool are working it just makes us more um, confident and resilient and overall feel better about all the aspects of our lives. It just means you're glowing from the inside out. And not this super cheery glow, but more that there's just a positive energy to you because you are somewhat keeping that three-legged stool in balance. And that's all we look to do on this podcast is support each other and support that concept that we can be healthy and that we can be happy and that we can be loving and that we can be accepting and that we can do it all. We can grow professionally. We can grow with our family, in our community, in our support, but also as athletes. Every day with a little bit of health and fitness and self-care and focus on ourselves because the more we do that, the more we focus on ourselves, the better we can be for others. It starts with us and that sounds continuously selfish when we say that, but if we've taken care of ourselves, it's like a magnifying glass or it exponentially shoots more energy for us to give. We give certain amount of energy to ourselves. It seems like twice as much energy is available to be given out to towards the other parts of the three-legged stool. And that's what I really, really love about some of the stories and inputs and insights as well as how I feel when I take care of myself. So thank you for those emails and thank you for this amazing year of the podcast. I um, was uh, contemplating, I was collecting, compiling was the word I was looking for. the achievements of my athletes this just this year in 2018 from somebody doing all four deserts in one calendar year and the things he overcame in the trials and tribulations to running a thousand kilometers <laughs> in four total weeks, um, basically one each quarter on, in a different desert on a different continent. So that was an amazing year. I had complete newbies do 550Ks on each of the Hawaiian islands in five consecutive days. I had somebody take his horse (laughs) and his body and go 1,200 kilometers consecutively the length of Sweden as part of his self-curated endurance event. And I have so many more stories in there from solo sailors to military officers to It is just, it's really, really mind-boggling once I put the list together, and that's going to be in my newsletter, um, because it's just, you look at it, and you're just blown away by everything people are accomplishing, and there's not a sense of envy. It's more of a sense of awe and wow. There's so much we, we all did in this community because even those individuals wouldn't be able to do it if there's not a collective sort of force and energy that connects us all to keep them moving forward when things are really difficult. I mean, look at the two guys racing across Antarctica right now. Sure, they have their own personal energy sources and people supporting them and people truly in their lives but I believe there's a collective power from all the experiences and inputs and people that have touched them in the most um, minuscule way over the last, over their lifetime. But that's all part of a collective uh, power that helps them move forward. When you, in your subconscious feel at the most difficult times, in the deepest, darkest cave that you're fighting those demons and those dragons, that there is a collective bigger source of energy of all of us supporting you doing it. it um, I, I fully believe that there's a, um, there's that type of um, collective humanity when it comes to our endurance self. Um, and many of you might've felt something like that when you're in some of the harder um, endurance endeavors you've been in and most that I've talked to say the same thing, that they feel that they're not necessarily, it's not a question of not being alone out there, but more about it wasn't just for me or my family or for the greater cause, but there was just sort of more like I knew that this is for way more and I'm being driven and pushed and pulled along by way more than just what I am consciously aware of. And I love hearing that. And I believe... When looking at those events and looking at some of the amazing athletes in our stories in the endurance world in general in 2018, a guy swam around Great Britain for crying out loud. Um, These Antarctica crossings, right? I mean, there's so many different new ultra endurance adventures that people are pushing themselves further than ever before. And I believe that's part of our human spirit because we truly are aerobic animals we're the only species that can do it the way we can we do on the entire planet we are designed to be endurance athletes just like born to run and chris mcdougall said i don't agree with a lot of the little micro um concepts and theories he talked about but overall yes we are truly born to be endurance athletes to move over a surface area for a long period of time Our lungs, our DNA, our body, our muscular structure, our energy structure, our metabolism, our mind, the way our body's laid out is all designed for that. So that's why you are tapping into the rawest, truest, deepest self when you're out there after a while doing an endurance exercise. That's why you feel so alive. That's why you feel so good. That's why you feel so connected. That's why when you come back to reality of your office or the house or, the, or just into town again after riding or running so far in nature, you're disoriented because you were somewhere else. You were truly internally and externally somewhere else. And that's all part of what we do. And again, that list of all the different adventures from a 5k to a 10k to a four deserts to <laughs> to some of these adventures to a, I had an athlete who rode a thousand kilometers or so or, or, yeah a thousand kilometers across Great Britain and the guy's never really been on his bike before. I mean <laughs> but that's the thing is, It's how I said to Rich Roll way back in the days when we started to anybody these days. It's like, you know what? Let's find out. Whatever the adventure, let's find out. And let's do the same thing in 2019. Let's find out what you're capable of. And let me help you with this podcast, with the newsletter, with the training camps, with my coaching. Let's find out and let me help you navigate our daily lives with what your true potential is you're unapologetically right i I use this saying quite often unapologetically working towards our best self right the best version of ourselves how can we be that in 2019 the best version of ourselves that's defined on you currently and we can do that and unapologetically it's important Because again, you will be able to give more. People will understand once you start working unapologetically towards your best self, your best self will shine upon them. All right, have a wonderful holiday season. Have a great end to this 2018. Um, And I look forward to really, really having an amazing 2019 in the podcast and talking with all of you. We have the 100th episode coming up in a couple of weeks. It looks to be like uh, (laughs) mid-November, mid-November, mid-February. And so I've got something really special lined up there and I'm excited to share it with all of you. And uh, it's going to be a pretty big deal. So more on that down the road. I'm trying to keep it a surprise, but a lot of it is going to start leaking out into the public But with that, it's truly because of everything I believe in in this podcast. And I'm so grateful for all of you. A happy and healthy new year and a new year of our best version of ourselves in 2019. Thank you.